So please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 14. And last week we were able to look at the first eight verses. And what I want to do just very quickly is give you some cross-references. Let's start today, if we may, in verse 1. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So the context, very clearly, is Mount Zion, which isn't on the earth, but it is far north. Keep your hand in Revelation chapter 14, and please turn to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 22, please. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. So currently, if you are saved, you are spiritually a citizen of New Jerusalem. That, of course, would be our final destination. But for now, for those of us which are saved and still alive and kicking, we are very much on the earth. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28 and if you will please look at verse 14 thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and i've set thee so thou wast upon the holy mountain of god thou was walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire concerning lucifer of course the anointed cherub which would be a, a higher form of angelic being but here the anointed cherub which covereth was Upon the holy mountain of God, far north, of course, New Jerusalem. Turn to uh, Psalm 48. Psalm 48. It's always good to go back to the Old Testament to get additional light and additional uh, material to reinforce a particular belief. I think if you've only got one verse, and you are basing a belief on one verse alone, you are on shaky ground. Psalm 48, Psalm 48, look at verse 2, please. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Back in the late 1950s, Russia sent a man into space called the Sputnik, and it was quite an achievement no doubt about it, and of course at that time Russia was a communist country run very much by hardline atheists, and the astronaut made it into space, he beat the Americans by a good 10 years, looked around, and when he returned to Russia, he gave a press conference, and he said that I've been into space, and I was able to have a good look around, and I couldn't see God, therefore there must be no God. Of course, what a stupid statement to make. All he saw was a second heaven. But what I've read this morning from Hebrews 12, Revelation 14, Ezekiel 28, and Psalm 48 is, of course, the third heaven far north, which is where we go once the rapture has occurred. So I'm not overly surprised to hear such a ridiculous statement. Go back to 
Revelation chapter 14. It's like I've been saying all along that until you are born again, this is a closed book to you. You have no way to really understand it. I guess the nearest way to try and understand such a statement would be to try and understand Chinese, for example, if you're not from China, or to try and understand Portuguese, if you're not from Portugal, or to try and understand German, if you're not from Germany. You're going to struggle. Well, time's up by a thousand when it comes to the Word of God. The best you can do if you are an unsaved person is to just skim the surface of this great book. And yet again, this book is not for you. It's only when you are born again do you really hunger, do you really crave for the Word of God. Revelation 14 verse 1, one final time, and I will move on. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, Jesus Christ, third heaven, and with him an hundred forty and four thousand, hundred forty four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. They belong to the Lord, and they are very much beloved of the Lord. And this is a great picture of possession. You are his the moment you are born again. You are very much in the body of Christ, and no one or nothing can ever remove you from that. That is made so clear from uh, Romans 8. Neither death, nor height, nor principalities, nor powers, nor famine, nor distress, peril or sword, so and so forth, nothing or no one can ever separate you from the love of God. And we refer to that, of course, as eternal security, or once saved, always saved. And yet, unfortunately, that continues to be kicked against, kicked against by self-righteous people. So 14, 1, 2, 3, and 4 pictures the redeemed being removed from the earth. And this came to me a few nights ago that there's no more light on the earth. And I'm speaking about spiritual light. Since the creation of man, and I think it's from Genesis chapter 6, it speaks about how man was wicked perpetually, doing what is wicked, not wanting to serve the Lord. And the Lord says to Noah that his spirit will strive with man for 120 years, and then a flood comes. So since the fall of man, man has been in rebellion to the Lord. He has been kicking against the Lord and his people. And this came to me a few nights ago that with the rapture of the 144,000 from this piece of scripture, with the rapture of the two witnesses from chapter 11, with the rapture of the church, chapter 4, there's no more light on the earth after this point in time which means this that no one is going to get saved this is what we refer to as a point of no return man has finally got what he has always wanted satan manifest in the flesh terrifying thought so on that thought let's start today's broadcast in earnest if we may and let's start today in verse nine and the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice if any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out that mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone, in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torments ascendeth up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. And people say, well, 
Why would this be in scripture if the Lord knows those that are going to be saved? Why would this be in scripture if the Lord has poured out strong delusion on those that refuse to believe the truth, like from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Well, keep your hand in Revelation 14 and go to Matthew, Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 23. If there's one thing in that I find time after time in the Gospels, it would be the Lord giving man chance after chance to be saved and continuing to stress the dire need to be saved. The Lord didn't play games with people. He meant what he said, said what he meant. But on top of that, he wanted people to believe on him. Look at Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Look at verse 33, please. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the scribes, the PhD of his day, who are very much at enmity against him. Look at 38. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. 39. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You've got two things going on. Number one, you've got Christ preaching to Israel, and at the same time, wanting to increase the faith of his apostles, and at the same time, rebuking unbelieving, hostile, intolerant uh, jury, the uh, reverent fathers, if you will, and on top of that, giving them a chance to be saved. A warning. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? 33. Well, quite simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often... Would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her children under her wings, and you would not. You wouldn't come to me that you might have life, not that you cannot come to me that you might have life, but that you would not come to me that you might have life. Go back to Revelation chapter 14. So what you are reading about today is a warning, even at the 11th hour, that if you take the mark of the beast and this will be aimed at uh, tribulation saints we have been raptured the church of course has long gone that if you take the mark of the beast you are going to be damned in fact keep your hand in revelation 14 and go back to revelation chapter 2 also which uh, or another subject which continues to be kicked against is the rapture the blessed hope that we are looking for and I make no apologies for the fact that I am pre-tribulational and pre-tribulational uh, pre pre-millennial. And from Revelation 1, 4, John to the seven churches, which are in Asia, and grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So this book is addressed to the churches, plural, seven churches. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse... 29. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Chapter 1, verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Still not convinced? Go to chapter 3. Look at verse 22. He that hath an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, rapture time, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. So chapters 1, chapters 2, chapters 3, going to chapter 4, speaks about the churches. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, concerns the churches, 7 in total. But as far as we are concerned, looking back over history, would be addressed to the church, singular, the body of Christ. Go back to Revelation chapter 14. A lot of scripture to look at this morning, and I hope you are keeping up with me. 9 from chapter 14, and the third angel follow them. Same with a loud voice, so there's no chance of missing it. If any man or woman worship the beast and his image, Antichrist and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascended up for ever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Everlasting torture, everlasting torment, and yet if you were to sit down with a Jehovah's Witness and ask him or her to explain this piece of scripture to you, they would struggle terribly. In fact, if you keep your hand there and go to uh, Matthew, go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, I want to show you how the word everlasting is used and how it means everlasting without end. Matthew 25, Jesus speaking, look at verse 41, please. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me. Ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was an hungered, and he gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and he took me not in. Naked, and he clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and he visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee an hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Everlasting punishment, from verse 46, is the same term for everlasting life, from John 3.16. So if heaven is forever, and it is, why would hell not be forever as well? When you die, you get a glorified body, which will last forever. If you die an unsaved man or an unsaved woman, you get a glorified soul, which will burn forever. So the two are clear to me. Everlasting life, 46, or everlasting punishment. So you see, it's an inconsistent belief to hold to, that heaven can be forever, and yet hell cannot be. It comes down to this, that if you want to come to a view on everlasting heaven and everlasting hell, 
you'd be somewhat of a fool to do so without looking at the book of Revelation. Much of the Old Testament is what we call progressive revelation. Much of the Old Testament can also involve poetry. It can also involve people's views, like Solomon, for example. And Ecclesiastes gets quoted by the Nohellers, like the SDA, the JWs, and apostate Christendom, to suggest that when an unsaved man or woman dies, they go to sleep and don't wake up. Of course, that is foolish. After reading Revelation, and go back to Revelation, please, you can't miss it, unless, of course, you are a dishonest individual, someone who refuses to believe reality. So the warning is made very clear to tribulation saints, not the church. We won't be around when this takes place, that if you take the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist, it could be a barcode, it could be a tattoo, it could be a chip, of some kind. In fact, if you buy a brand new car, the chances are your car is chipped or your car has some kind of a tag. It has some kind of a mechanism. So if your car gets stolen or lost, the dealership that sold the car, the insurance firm that insures your car or the police that will search for your car will be able to do so. That's great technology. If you work for a blue chip company, and you turn up for work in the morning, they will, or they have the opportunity to scan your eye or your fingerprint to make sure you are who you say you are. The days are gone where you need a key to get into a building or to flash your pass at the security guy on the desk. They can just check your eye, your, you know, your, your eyes or your fingerprints or even speech recognition. In fact, if you have, a, uh, if you have an iPad or a smartphone, there are programs that are now available to those that want to go online, that are too lazy to type. In fact, I think it's Samsung, which have made a new television, which allows you to shout the channel out, and it goes straight to the channel for you. And no doubt, if you have a brand new television, you could probably say, uh, Google, Google ex-Catholics of Christ, and our website will come up. Just 20 years ago, that was impossible, but not now. Things are moving very fast, and that's why I continue to make the point that the only way to correctly exegete revelation would be through the means of being a futurist to take this as still to occur in the future and i put the question again to our pre-trust friends and those that hold to the historical position when has this happened when were the 144,000 from chapter 14 removed from the earth who were the two witnesses Give me their names, please. Who was the false prophet? Who was the Antichrist? What was the image of the beast? We spent three Sundays going through chapter 13. Drop me a line, please. I'd like to know. It's obvious to me that such characters are still to appear on the stage. The worst is yet to come for the world. But for those of us which are saved, the best is yet to come. Also from verse 10 from chapter 14, It speaks about being tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. When was the last time you ever heard that preached by a Catholic priest or a Protestant vicar? How about never? People like to think about Jesus as a little baby in a manger, as a good man preaching about the Sermon on the Mount, and yet even in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of heavy stuff there. Like if you can't control yourself, Take your eyes out, 
On top of that, if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of hellfire. And on top of that, how you are told to turn the other cheek. Such verses, of course, are never preached, are never cited, because such people don't want to go there. It's not only controversial, but it's going to result in such people having to take a stand for the word of God. 11. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. You can't miss it. This thing goes on forever and ever. And incidentally, these verses are concerning the second death, not the first death. The first death is spoken about from Luke uh, 16, verses 19 to 31. The rich man in hell being in a flame. Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in my tongue, so on and so forth. That concerns the first death. And the first death allows an unsaved man in Abraham's bosom, now referred to as paradise, being able to see the redeemed like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob. What a terrible thought. If you die today, first death, you will see the redeemed. You will be in agony, you will be conscious, and you will be screaming externally and probably internally at yourself and those all around you. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. From hell, of course. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image. Again, the word for worship means to kiss. It's a picture of submission. The beast, of course, being the Antichrist and his image. Could be a statue. Could be a hologram. It could be something even worse than that. Either way, this thing comes to life. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Once you take the mark of the beast, either in your forehead or in your hand, there's no going back. And yet again, when was the last time you heard this preached from the pulpits of a Catholic church, a Protestant church, or an evangelical or fundamental church? I'm sure some churches and some preachers still have the guts to preach this type of a message, but by and large, this is avoided. And of course, you can see why. 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Every self-righteous individual loves to quote scriptures such as this and ask the question, do you keep the commandments of God? And if you don't keep the commandments of God, either you are not saved or you are an apostate. But what are the commandments of God? Keep your hand there and go to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 23, please. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So 23 tells you, and this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's how you got saved. You got saved by believing on him. You got saved by trusting in him. It's all about grace, comma, and love one another as he gave us commandment. People say, I'm not overly sure, James. Okay, go to, uh, go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Sooner or later, you will come into contact with someone who attacks faith alone. Could be a Catholic, could be a Calvinist, and they will make 
a song and dance, that faith alone in Christ alone is not enough. And they go to James chapter 2, which speaks about the devils believing and trembling. But of course, they fail to correctly exegete that. Such devils believe that God is God because they have seen him. They're not trusting in him to be saved. So yes, they believe that God is God, of course, but they're not believing in him. They're not trusting in him to be saved. But our faith is a true faith. We are trusting in the Lord, according to First uh, Peter 1, 2 and 3, that we haven't even seen. That's why Paul speaks about the just living by faith. So don't allow someone to take you to James chapter 2 to shake your faith that somehow faith alone isn't sufficient. That's the only way that anyone's ever going to be saved. Romans 13, look at verse 8, please. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, verse 9, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Did you notice the Sabbath wasn't mentioned? The Sabbath was not mentioned because the Sabbath is part of the civil and ceremonial part of the Old Testament. Like the feast days, the Sabbath is a day. The Sabbath is from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. The Sabbath is civil and ceremonial. The Sabbath has no relevance to anyone living today. You've got adultery, you've got killing, you've got stealing, you've got bearing false witness, you've got coveting. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Easily cross-reference back to 1 John chapter 3. So yes, in answer to any question that gets put to us, yes, we keep the commandments as saved people, but we keep the commandments because we are saved, not in order to get saved. In fact, go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. And I think if people could understand this, if people would understand this, if people would take the time to read the Bible, like 45 pages a day for 31 days, they will read the entire Bible through in a month. A great challenge indeed. Uh, Acts chapter 15, Peter speaking, look at verse 8, please. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying the hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. It's faith alone from creation to Calvary, from Calvary to the end of the millennium. Pure and simple. And yet even that gets kicked against by our dispensational brethren. Go back to Revelation. Now I am a semi-dispensationalist, just for the record. I am a believer that the Gospels and all of the epistles have spiritual and doctrinal application to us. A full-blown dispensationalist would disagree with me on that. A full-blown dispensationalist, referred to as a hyper-dispensationalist, will say that probably only the Pauline epistles are relevant for those of us today. I don't believe that. 12, from Revelation chapter 14. Here is the patience of the saints. Tribulation saints, not church-age saints. Go back to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. We have been raptured. 
we have been removed from the earth. This is aimed at tribulation saints, and in the context, Jewish tribulation saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, comma, and the faith of Jesus. So what you've got is a throwback to the early church. The early church were mainly Jewish, and the early church uh, would retain the Jewish Old Testament laws like Sabbath observance, uh, dietary restrictions, circumcision, going to the temple, so on and so forth. And the Lord allowed them to do so right up until 70 AD. And yet, even whilst they were doing that, and I just took you to Acts chapter 15, Peter made it very clear that such couldn't save you, that Jew and Gentile were saved by faith in Christ alone. What that shows me uh, would be a number of things. Number one, that the Lord was very gracious to the Jewish believers in the first century, that he would allow them to continue observing the Old Testament laws, so on and so forth. But by doing so, that wouldn't save anyone. That would simply allow the Jew to remain faithful to his conscience and at the same time not to uh, cause weaker Jews to stumble. In fact, go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. So very briefly, as a quick recap before we move on. Yes, we as saved people keep the commandments, whether it's 1 John 3 or Romans chapter 13, but we do so because we are saved. We don't do so to get saved, and we don't do so to stay saved. And that needs to be clarified time after time. And yet, what would Peter say from Acts 15? We couldn't keep the law. It was a burden for us. It was very strenuous. It was something which we struggled to do. And that's why Solomon would say how there isn't a man on the face of the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You're going to stumble, my friends, whether you're saved 10 years, 15 years or 20 years. You're going to stumble because your blood's no good. You are no good. That's why you need to receive Christ as your savior. That's why he died on the cross for you. Matthew uh, 22, Matthew 22, look at verse uh, 37, please. Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. I guess it's possible to do so. I think Josiah, back in the Old Testament, came pretty near. I think Paul the Apostle in the New Testament came pretty near. And yet Josiah would have many wives and concubines. Paul the Apostle would lament over his old nature. So it's possible, but probably not uh, probable. Jesus said unto him, concerning a Pharisee, concerning someone from organized religion, going back to the earlier scripture from 23, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Such a statement, incidentally, was made before the crucifixion. Such a statement has come from the mouth of the Lord pre his death on a cross which again is a remarkable statement because it suggests that it is possible to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength and yet at the same time it's going to be difficult. This is the first and great commandment. Very much a throwback to First John. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour and love one another. Look at 39. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. On these two commandments... Hang all the law and the prophets. And according to Romans 13 again, if you do such, you have fulfilled the law. But again, such is 
only going to be relevant to those of us which are saved. You can't do this if you're not saved. You can't work your way into heaven. So when it speaks about loving the Lord thy God and loving thy neighbor, yes, absolutely. But until you are saved, such would be impossible. Go back to Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 14. And this will be a three-part study now. There's no way I'll be able to finish chapter 14 today. But that's okay. There's no rush. Revelation 14, one final time, and I will probably close. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay, let's say this and close. Jewish believers get saved in the tribulation, are very much a part of the third temple. Go back to Acts, read it carefully. Temple, observing, pork abstaining, bearded, uh, uh, circumcised Jews. Okay, they're going to keep the Old Testament to the letter. And even that is impossible, but they're going to try. But they're saved by their faith in Jesus. So what you could say from that and spiritualize it to us today, they are saved and because they are saved, they are keeping the law of the Lord. We are saved as Bible-believing Christians by faith in Christ alone. And because we are saved by faith in Christ alone, we keep the law. 1 John 3, Romans 13, Matthew 22. But again, we don't keep the law to get saved. We don't keep the law to stay saved. We keep the law because we are saved. And again, the Sabbath is not mentioned because the Sabbath is a civil and ceremonial aspect of the Old Testament. Sabbath day, feast days. It has no reference. It has no relevance. It has no... A meaning to us that are saved today. At best, if you are a Jew, and at best, if you are a saved Jew, you might have scripture to keep the Sabbath if you wish, and yet watch it, because that can make you become somewhat legalistic. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, because they are saved, comma, and the faith of Jesus. They are saved by their faith in Christ alone, and I'll keep repeating myself, and because they are saved, they keep the commandments of God, but they know that keeping the commandments of God won't save anyone, Jew or Gentile. Acts 15, 8 to 11, and also Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved by faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, and I will close it there. And next week we will pick it up from Revelation 14 verse 13.